We are glad that you're here tonight. There are notes on your table. I suggest you get those. Uh, there's a few more extras up here. If somebody back there needs them or whatever, uh, raise your hand if you didn't get one or you're looking for one. I think there's a couple of more, a few more here up here. We're starting our study. Uh, it's called Devarim. Uh, we know it as Deuteronomy. It's literally the words. Um, and I've really been looking forward to studying this with you. And by the way, it's good to be back. Well, sort of. <laughs> we were gone for two weeks up in, or two weekends for a week up in Colorado. Uh, and I was yanking some trout out of the water and having a great time. And then I come back to this heat. Uh, but we missed uh, being here with you. Um, and uh, so I just want to thank you for letting us being able to do that and for Zach uh, filling in for me. And I, I thought you did an awesome job. Yes, I did listen. And uh, I thought you did a, did a great job. Uh, before I left, uh, we talked about Balaam. And I shared how I was so excited been looking forward to talking about that story because it, it's a massively important story uh, in your Bible. And it's a lot more than the talking donkey. Um, but I've also been looking forward to this season of study because we're going through Deuteronomy. Um, over the last, I don't know, three, four years now in studying Torah the way we've been doing this, and as God's opened up my eyes to the legitimacy of all of Scripture being applicable to our lives were appropriate, meaning that the Torah does still apply. Uh, I've been listening to and reading and studying, you know, the first five books a lot. And on our property, whenever I'm mowing or doing whatever it is I'm doing out there, I'll literally put it on my phone, got it dramatized where I can listen to it. And out of the first five books, my favorite is Deuteronomy. I'm not sure how many times I've read it, listened to it, played it over and over and over and over again in one day uh, while I'm working on the property or doing whatever I'm doing or sometimes driving around town. It just excites me. Uh, I, I believe that Deuteronomy is exceptionally important. Watch this. Yeshua quoted Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Bible. Um, Deuteronomy, uh, we think of it as the retelling of the law. Um, it's the words of Moses, and it's his testimony. Watch this. The first four books were basically dictated by God to Moses for him to write down. Throughout all of those, he's like... God said, da 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 God said, da 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 and he's telling them all of these things which we've been studying. But let's just look at, in the notes there for you on your, on your table, you start off here with verse 1. It says, these are the words with Moshe, which is Moses, which Moshe, Moshe spoke to all of Israel. So <clears throat> this is Moses' words to Israel. It is his synopsis. Now watch this. He's sharing this with them approximately 37 days before his death. This is like his last will and testament to these people he's been dealing with for 40 years. And I'll go ahead and tell you, he's not real happy. 
there are numerous times, we'll see it here in a little bit, there are numerous times when he says, because of you. And he keeps reminding them of all the stuff they've been doing. And here's why. God's already told him, you're not going in the land. Joshua, Yehoshua, the type of Christ, we've talked about that, he's going to take the people in because you didn't believe me and uphold me as holy among the people when you struck the rock instead of doing what I told you to do. So you're not going in. And the place where they are right now, (laughs) it's crazy, the place where they're standing is an 11-day journey from where they started from Mount Sinai. But it has now taken them another 38 years to get there. It's an 11-day walk. But they've been wandering around in the wilderness now for a total of 40 years because they wouldn't go in the first time. And God got mad. And then all of these other things have happened during these 40 years of, if you will, insanity. Plagues and grumbling and crying out about the manna and the food and on and on and on and on. And... uh, and so these are the words that Moses is telling them now, even though I believe he's not happy, and I know I'm spending a lot of time on this intro, but it's important to understand this as we go in here. Even though I believe he's not happy because he keeps saying, I'm not getting to go in because of you, and because of you, da 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 and because of you, and he does say it a lot. I think what he's also saying is, look, you need to remember what happened, why it has taken us another 38 years to make an 11-day journey. It's like the three-hour tour, those of you that remember Gilligan's Island. Um, Well, that's to only a small group of us here, but anyways, (laughs) I'm always leaking out my age. Uh, That they've turned this thing into this three-hour tour. They've turned this 11-day journey into a 40-year trek around the wilderness, and he's trying to say, look, you're about to go into the land, and I can't go with you. Not only am I not happy about that, I'm not going to be able to help you. So you need to remember where we came from, why all this happened, what God has been doing, and what you need to do when you get in there, and what you need to do to stay on track. That's why we were told that we have a democratic republic in America. Watch this. If we can keep it is what we were told. And that is being tried very hard right now, right? It'll get worse. So in the book of Deuteronomy, it is the book in the Old Testament, watch this, that most vigorously promotes monotheism. That there's only one God. I think that's the other reason why I just love the book. The book of Deuteronomy is like the core of, of Jewish life. We have from the book of Deuteronomy this, the idea of saying the Shema, which we'll get to when we get to chapter 6, but it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, which is quoted all the time. They're challenged with that to remember. You need to remember. Why are they told to do that all the time? Because we forget. We're, we have short memories. We have to have all different kinds of things to remind us, like the seat and all kinds, of, to remind us of who we are, who God is, what we're supposed to be doing, because we're just, we got a short memory. 
And we get what? Self-centered. And we get more focused on us than anything else. So it, 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 it teaches that. It also teaches, watch this, that all the sacrificial system and all that stuff that they've been talking about was to happen in the land and at a place that God would designate where he would make his name to be remembered. That place is Yerushalayim, the place, the city of peace. It comes from the word salam or salam, which is a form of shalom. And it's Yerushalayim. It's this place to ask, and we're told that we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which is also a play on, on words. It sounds like you're saying shalom, shalom, shalom almost. Uh, Sha'alu shalom, Yerushalayim. And it's to ask for and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. You know why? You know what today is? We're almost there. It's the Sabbath, but it's, yeah, Tishba Av. It's the ninth of Av. We'll get to that at the end. It's in the back of your notes. Don't open it yet. Don't cheat. Don't go forward. We'll get there in a minute. Um, but it is a day where so many tragedies have happened dealing with the Jewish people and also the temples, uh, the two temples there in Jerusalem being destroyed and many, many other things that have happened on this day. This Torah portion is always read this week and it's tied with some other passages for one reason. The day the spies came back and gave the bad report, it was Tish Ba'av. It was today when they did it. And it goes on and on and on. And so it's just like critically important that we understand this and that the people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, for all these centuries, on the Tish B'Av, it's a day of mourning and fasting and weeping over the destruction of the temple. But what most people don't realize that what's really happening is that they're not weeping over the destruction of a building, but the absence of God's presence and what it meant. And the fervor to rebuild the third temple is building quickly. And it is coming. We know it's coming, right? So we should be likewise weeping over the fact that the temple's not there. Why? Because what that means is it's the absence of the actual physical presence of God on the earth. But that's why God also says don't long for the day of the Lord because with that comes great destruction and death and all these other things. So we don't long for that. But what we long for is the return of Yeshua. But for that to happen, there's got to be all this other stuff. And that's why I believe God is raising us up. That's why He's brought you here to learn how to be prepared for when that day happens. If you're, those of you that have been around me know, if you're banking on that pre-trib rapture thing, I'm just telling you it ain't going to happen. It was made up, and, it, and the reason is, is it all stems from anti-Semitism that started before John the Apostle died. And when all that gets into our mindset, you're forced to reinterpret passages. 
It's just, it's just the way that works. Um, and that reminded me of something. Sorry, I need let me back up for one second. If you haven't made reservations yet to be with us during Sukkot, you need to do that. We're going to have it at uh, the Lake Tawakonee State Park. It's close by, so if you need to travel and work and stuff, it's close enough to do that. I really want to encourage you to get in touch with them and make the reservations and come and be with us. The reason that made me think of that was because of the statement I just made. I wrote, and I'm writing, Christina's helping me edit it, this book. What I want to do during that time during Sukkot is each night I want to do a study on each one of those chapters. Um, because it is critically important. Um, and so I just I want you to come. Secondly, um, announcement time, because once I get going, I will forget. Um, tomorrow, we're going to have a, a work day. So um, we're going to start at 8 o'clock. I told everybody I plan on being finished by 8.15 before it gets hot. <laughs> Joking. Uh, but we've got some things we want to do. We want to clean up uh, the foyer area out here and, and some other things. And so if you can come and help, great. And we're going to have a baptism service next week. So there's a number of people that wanted to get baptized. So we said, we'll do that next week. If you're one of those that's wanting to do that, stay with me after the service and we'll talk about it. Uh, but we're going to be doing that uh, next week. Okay. So I think that's all the announcements I was supposed to make. So uh, be, in, be involved in those ways. So <clears throat> the other thing about them telling them about <clears throat> that in Deuteronomy, it explains all these sacrifices that were supposed to happen in the land at the place that God would designate, not any way in any place that you want to do it, but in the land. It's from that that I've got this here from this Etzchaim. It's my Torah, one of them, my Torah and commentary. This is from Jeffrey Tagge. It says, Deuteronomy proclaims the unique role that sacrifice may play may take place only in the religious capital in a single sanctuary. Go ahead and read, I'll tell you, in your study this week, Deuteronomy chapter 12. It's pretty interesting. We'll get there soon enough. Its aim is to spiritualize religion by freeing it from excessive dependence on sacrifice and priesthood. It urges instead studying God's Word and performing rituals that teach reverent love for Him. This is out of their commentary. These teachings probably laid the groundwork, listen to this, for non-sacrificial synagogue-based worship. Once the temple was destroyed and they could not worship there and meet God there and perform the things that He said, they had to come up with a substitute which became the synagogue and other things they would do to substitute because we can't get there, which is exactly what we do. There's, there's, okay? So um, it, it's, it's all okay. I'm sorry to say it's all okay. It's not all okay because there's a lot that goes on in synagogues and churches alike and everything that are just an abomination. I'll just go ahead and say it. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, but just because it's done... Uh, just because, in other words, just because we're meeting here uh, and doing it like this doesn't make it wrong. Does that make sense? Um, 
And just because somebody might want to meet on a Sunday for worship doesn't make that wrong. The Sabbath is still Saturday. You can worship God any day. You study the Word of God any day and every day, right? Don't make me do this by myself. Um, so, but people get hung up on all that stuff. And, it, and it's actually, it's just ridiculous and chasing after white noise, which is what the devil wants us to do. Let me now, I need to get into my <laughs> end of the text or I won't touch anything today. Um, so there's so many things in the book of Deuteronomy that is the basis of religious life for the Jewish people and for us, and it really pushes monotheism. And I think that's why I just love it. There's so many times I'll run across a verse and I just want to shout, that's right, there is one God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His name is Yahovah, and He made promises, and He will keep them. And He's made them to us as well. Let's read the first four verses. That was a long introduction. The first four verses says, These are the words that which Moshe spoke to all Israel beyond the yard. And I'm reading this out of the Scriptures version. Uh, in the wilderness, in the desert plain, opposite Suf, between Paran, Tophel, and Laban, and Hashtaroth, and Dezahab. Eleven days' journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kodesh, Kodesh Barnea. And it came to be in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moshe spoke to the children of Israel according to all that Yahovah commanded him concerning them. After he had smitten Sihon, sovereign of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, sovereign of Bashan, who dwelt at Ashtoreth in Edrei. So he's reminding them, he says, look, <clears throat> this is where we are. This is how long it's taken us to get here. This is the 40th year. They're about to cross over. They're actually over on the east side of the Jordan River. You have a tendency, I do, sometimes to forget that the Jordan River flows down, comes into the Sea of Galilee, goes out of that, and down into the Dead Sea, and then doesn't go anywhere. That's why it's the Dead Sea. And they went around the bottom side of that, and now they're basically in Bashan. That's important. Leave that for later. And they're about to cross over the Jordan coming back east. Uh, and he's reminding them <clears throat> that they've also uh, dealt with King Sihon and Og. They've already dealt with these guys. Okay? Fast forward. These two kings are leftovers from the Nephilim. And we're going to see something here that's absolutely fascinating. Let's go on. In verse 8 it says, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which Yehovah swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Yaakov, to give to them and their seed after them. He's reminding them, look, this is what Yehovah promised to give to our forefathers, and He's making good on it. And we've been here already. And we didn't get to go in. So let's go on and jump down to verse 19. It says, Then we sent out from Horeb and went through all that great and awesome wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as Yahovah our, our Elohim had commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. 
And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which Yahovah, our Elohim, is giving us. See, Yahovah, your Elohim, has set, set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As Yahovah, Elohim of your fathers, has spoken to you, do not fear nor be discouraged. And all of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities in which we should come. Now, here's what's fascinating. It's at this point that Moses is actually filling in some gaps for us. Actually, when we read this and Susan brought this up, we should kind of go, what just happened? Because that's not the way it's described in Numbers. That's not the way it's described for us. I've got it for you in Numbers 13, verse 1. I know some of you are like, what? Well, let's read this. In Numbers 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, And Yahovah spoke to Moshe, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am given to the children of Israel. Send one man from each tribe of their fathers, every one a leader among them. And by the command of Yahovah, Moshe sent from them, uh, sent them from the wilderness of Paran all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Well, right there it says it was by the command of God. But we just read where Moses says, you're the ones that came to me and said, we need spies. Well, what he's doing is he's filling in the gaps because here's what happened. They were supposed to go in. The people said, "Uh, I don't know, which shouldn't surprise us, right, from everything we've already been studying. They made the golden calf and everything else that's happened. They're like, "Uh, I don't know. We're scared. There's giants over there. Nephilim-type giants. It's, we, it's more than just tall people, okay? Um, and we're scared of them, and we know that they're over that way. And so, you know what? Send in, you know, let, you know like, like she said, send in Uncle Harry and whatever, you know. Let them go check it out for us. Moses takes that complaint back to God, and God goes, okay. Go ahead and send them. Now, why would God do that? Well, it's because He's God. We're not. He already knew what was in their hearts. He already knew what was going to happen. Watch this. If they were that fearful, how bad would it have been? It really worked out perfect. How bad would it have been for them to go in there and go, "Mm, eh, no, no, I don't think we'll do that. How bad would it have been for them to go in there and kind of get a third started and then go, I don't think so, because God already knew these people are really messed up, and it's going to take a while to get their attention. Uh, So this isn't a distortion of the truth. Moses is just filling in some of the gaps. Folks, this is why it's important to read your Bible in, in context. Context means more than just the verses in front of it and behind it. It means the context of that book, Who's writing it? Who are they writing it? Who's talking? What are they dealing with? Uh, And then also the context of the whole Bible. I'm sorry, but the Facebook arguments out there make me nuts. And I refuse to click on them. I refuse to get sucked into it because it's like arguing with a fence post. 
and he's not going to get anywhere. And I've heard it all, and I've taught it before, and, you know, and people that say, you know, well, this, that, and the other, and I'm like, oh, Lord, really? And they want to bring up Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, to show that you know, the Gentiles don't have to do anything, and the law of God is just for the Jews, and it's not for the Gentiles, and that's why he said, you know, they don't have to get circumcised, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do you people know how to read? I mean, seriously, do you just, do you know how to read? English. You don't even have to know Greek and Hebrew. Just read English and just slow down and read it. It was talking about salvation. Did they need to convert to Judaism and get circumcised so they could get saved? That was the argument. Peter goes, duh, no. That's not how it works. They've already got the Holy Spirit. Why would we want to put that kind of junk on them? Judaism, rabbinical Judaism on them, we couldn't keep it. Sorry about that little tirade, but I, I, I see this stuff, and you just want to, I'm like, if, if you're ever out there having a Facebook argument, and you're like, why doesn't Pastor Paul just jump in here? Well, that's why, because I, I've, I've been doing this long enough, and I go, you know what? If people want to know the truth, they'll come and ask me. If people want to debate, that's a whole other story, and I'm not going to play that game. Because you know that debate isn't about finding truth. Did you know that? Debating is not about finding truth. Debate is about you winning your truth. That's what debate is. That's why politicians are real good at it. That's debate. Searching out truth is you and I sitting down with the Bible and going, well, but this is what it says. And if Yeshua said this, and you're going to tell me, yeah, but Paul, yeah, but Peter, yeah, but the Jerusalem council, then what you're telling me is that you want Jesus as your Savior, but you want some other kind of religion, even if it contradicts what Jesus said. And then watch the sparks fly when you challenge that. But it makes me nuts. I'm like, well, just read the Bible. Just read it. Get your theological filter off and just read it. It says what it says. Amen? Sorry about that. But uh, I've seen a lot of it this week, and I'm going... No, don't do it. No, don't do it. You know, because I just don't want it to blow up my stuff. Um, so Moses is reminding them about all this. He's filling in the gaps for us. And we need to read our Bible in context and then it'll make sense. So you get to Deuteronomy chapter 1 and you go down to verse 26. And he says, but you would not go up and rebelled against the mouth of Yahovah your Elohim. That's another play on words here that Moses is doing to try to, remember, to try to remind them. These are my words I'm speaking to you. But the words that came out of the mouth of the spies spoiled your hearts. And then watch this. And then the words that came out of your mouth is going to make God's heart angry at you. You need to be careful about the words that we use. Amen. And he says this, and you grumbled in your tents. Can somebody say, uh-oh? They were grumbling in their tents. You see, we have a we, Well, it's, this is private. Nobody knows, you know. It's not going to hurt anything. Uh, God heard all of them privately in their tents grumbling, not wanting to do what He said. 
And, and what's worse is not trusting him after everything he's already done, and it gets worse, which we'll see here in just a second. Uh, and they're saying, you know, he's, he's brought us out of Mitzrayim, which is it's a Hebrew word for uh, a burden and slavery, which is the word for Egypt, uh, Mitzrayim. To give us into the hand of the... He's brought us out here to give us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. And where are we going to go? Um, and it says, and our, our brothers uh, made our hearts melt. They said, the people are greater and taller than us, and the cities are great and walled up to the heavens. And we saw the sons of the Anakim there too. I highlighted that for you because it's real important. <clears throat> it says, not only did they see these great, mighty cities and big people, it says, but we also saw the sons of Anakim. Folks, I'm, there are people that are going to tell you that what we're about to look at, um, they'll call me crazy. Real conservative Baptist especially, and I am a Baptist. Born and raised, cradle roll up, Baptist. I got Baptist in my blood. Uh, and they'll say, well, that's just crazy. When I say that these Anakim, and we're going to look at some of these others, because they specify them. These are leftovers from the Nephilim, which was an unnatural union between fallen angelic beings and women that tainted the DNA of humanity. That's part of the war that Satan's trying to stop God from accomplishing even one of his prophecies so that Satan doesn't have to go to hell. That's the short version. That's the short route of what all has been happening. It's Genesis chapter 6. You go back and read it. But a lot of people say, well, no, 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 they're just bullies because they don't want to talk about the supernatural. They think it's just too weird. I'm like, yeah, well, guess what? <laughs> Our, we're serving a supernatural God that walked on water, healed the sick, turned water into wine, raised from the dead, raised the dead, made limbs extend back out, on and on and on. And you think this is weird? And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He paid for my sins, and I'm going to be able to go back and be with God in heaven forever because of all that? And you're going to tell me that's not weird, and he's going to come back? Read the book of Revelation. You want to read weird, <laughs> right? But they don't want to deal with this. If you don't deal with this, then everything else that we're about to read and continue to study will not make sense. For instance, watch this. There are people that say, how could a loving God annihilate these people groups? Men, women, and children? He's an evil, mean, and nasty God if that's your God. That's what they say. Anybody here other than me ever hear that? And refuse, I'm, not, I'm not following that God because many annihilated people. Well, he's trying to get us back into the garden Satan tried to taint our DNA. God purified it with Yeshua, which was a perfect union for the right reason. That's a whole nother five sermons. <clears throat> But if you don't understand that the rest of the story doesn't really make sense and it starts to become disjointed and you can't figure out your Bible. But when you understand this, you go, oh, so that really happened? Well, yeah, it really happened. Where do you think Greek mythology came from? But there's something else that's actually fascinating 
about this story. I never saw it until studying for this week. I went, who put that in my Bible? I've, I just, I've listened to Deuteronomy, I guess, hundreds of times. I don't know how many times I've read it. And I've read it, and I've studied it, and I've gone, and I went, There's, that's, that can't, that, so, Zach put that in my Bible. Because I know he's asked the same thing, right? He's like, how did, how did that get in my Bible? There's no way that could be in my Bible. I've read it too many times. Let's just continue on. This, he uh, mentions these, these Anakim. I want you to see that this stuff is not isolated um, and that the people of Israel understood what was going on even all the way to King David and farther. So in the Psalms 106, he's referring back to the same situation where he says where they despised the pleasant land, they did not believe his word, and they grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of Yahovah. So he lifted up his hand in an oath against them. Oh my goodness to make them fall in the wilderness and to make their seed fall among the Gentiles, watch this, and to scatter them in the lands. Man, that's a prophecy all the way to today. And they joined themselves to Baal Peor. Y'all remember what that's relating to? Balaam. And eight slaughterings made to the dead. They ate these offerings that were made to the dead. And it made God so mad. Uh, Anyhow, he's he's relating all of this, and we know that that's also a process of worshiping these fallen demons that are connected to the watchers, that are connected to the whole Nephilim thing. It's all intertwined. Satan is anything but stupid. Stupid. He's been saying from the very beginning, is that what God really said? Is that what He really meant? And He's still saying it today. And He's trying to get you to believe the same lie. If you think He's not busy in the church, you are naive. If you think He's not busy in the seminaries, in the schools, in the pastors, you are naive. He is very active in enemy territory. But because we know who he is and we're understanding our Bible better, we can look at him and say, bring it on. You get a little bit closer and I will poke you right in the eye. You think I'm kidding. I'm as serious as I could ever be about that because the Scripture says we stand firm in our faith. Even if the devil himself should stand before us, he will run and flee. Amen? It's not in who we are, but in our, in our God that we serve. And because we know what He's doing, and we know who, how God has called us and what He's called us to do, we don't have to be fearful. And since we're not fearful, we can stand literally in the face of the devil and say, bring it on, dude. Just bring your, bring your best shot. Because guess what? You thought that was at Golgotha. How'd that turn out for you, bozo? Because you didn't understand what God was doing. You killed the king of glory, which purchased my salvation. You can't touch this. Can y'all tell I haven't had a chance to preach in two weeks? (laughs) So you jump down to verse 41. Then you answered and said to me, We have sinned against Yahovah. 
We ourselves are going up and we will fight as Yahovah our Elohim has commanded us. And when each one of you had girded on his battle gear, you were ready to go up into the mountain. And Yahovah said to me, say to them, don't go up nor fight for I am not in your midst lest you be smitten before your enemies. I highlighted that because I was like, here's what, are they not doing what God said to do? Right? He said, go. And they said, Okay, well, we, you know, we said we weren't going to go before. You know, we kind of grumbled about it. I mean, what child hasn't grumbled at something that their parent told them to do and then later said, okay, I'll do it? Here's what's fascinating. They actually tried to fulfill the command that God gave them and died for it. You see, we get so caught up in thinking that we're supposed to do all of these things. We're supposed to do what God's called us to do when He's called us to do it and the way He's called us to do it. You don't do it on your own. Even if it's what the Scripture says, you don't do it on your own. People left and right getting in all kinds of trouble out there you know, trying to perform sacrifices and all kinds of stuff. They don't even know what in the world they're talking about. You're not supposed to do it in Roy City, Texas. Duh, you're not in Israel. You're not in Jerusalem. The temple's not there. You don't understand what you're trying to do. Read your Bible. <laughs> Pray, read your Bible, and what? Repeat. So let's go on down. This is the part that's really fascinating. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, <clears throat> I jump down to verse 10. It says, the Emites had dwelt there formerly, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakin. There it is again. They were also reckoned as Rephaites, like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Emites. And the Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place as Israel did to the land of their possession, which Yahweh gave them. Now rise up and go over the Wadi Zirid. So we passed over the Wadi Zirid, and the time came we took, time, and the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we passed over the Wadi Zirid was 38 years, until all the generation of the men of the battle was consumed from the midst of the camp as Yahweh had sworn to give them. Now, I gave you a note here that I copied and pasted out of uh, Walvard's uh, Bible Knowledge Commentary off of page 266. Read that for yourself. I wanted you to have that so you could look at those verses that it references, talking about these Rephaites, Horites, and these, these others, the Emites and stuff. They're all the same people. They're counted as Rephaim or, watch this, Nephilim from Genesis 6. But these other people called them other things. That's why he says, you know, some of them called them uh, Zamimim. Let's go on here in Deuteronomy 2, start picking up with verse 16. And it says, And it came to be, when all the men of battle had finally perished from among the people, that Yahovah spoke to me, saying, This day you are to pass over at Ar, at the boundary of Moab, and when you come near the children of Ammon, do not distress them, nor stir yourself up against them, for I do not give you any of the land of the children of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. 
That was also reckoned as a land of Rephites. Rephites formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zanzimim. Folks, this is talking about Nephilim. That's who it's talking about. These people and people groups that had tainted DNA. You continue on verse 21, it says, A people as great and numerous and as tall as the Anakim. This is fascinating. But Yahovah destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, as He had done for the descendants of Esau. What? Who put that in my Bible? who dwelt in Seir when he destroyed the Horites from before them. They dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Awim, who dwelt in the villages as far as Azra, the Kiftorim, who came from Kiftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Arise, set out, and pass over the Wadi Arnon. See, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, sovereign of Heshbon, and his land, begin to possess it and stir up yourself against him. Here's what I want you to see. Esau and uh, who else was it? Um, The children, he says, when you come up near the children of Ammon, do not distress them. It's uh, because it's the, uh, the, the, the descendants, I'm sorry, the descendants of Lot. So between the descendants of Lot And the descendants of Esau, God was killing Nephilim for them and giving them land. Because He promised to give them a land and to bless them. We have a tendency to think that God is only working with Israel or the saints. Anybody here other than me go... Yeah, I've I've thought that. When I ask a question, we're supposed to respond, so I I know I'm not in this by myself. Anybody here ever think that way or kind of have that attitude? And I'm reading this going, well, uh, well, uh, hold on a minute now. We're talking about Esau. Okay. Exactly. And I'm going, okay, so we 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 got Esau... We got God working with, you know, we got Jacob and Esau, and we got God working with Esau and the descendants of Esau, and he's driving out these people, these Nephilim, with them. We got the descendants of Lot, and he's driving out Nephilim for their descendants. And you go, why? Right? Here's what I want you to see. God is active in so many ways that you and I are not privy to. Why? Because He's working out everything on this earth to its final destination that He's already dictated. I put a verse in here for you that we just studied when we went through Revelation because I want you to see it again. Because when you freak out thinking that we're in the end times, we're in the tribulation period, Satan, the Antichrist, is going to come on the scene. It's going to be like the Left Behind movies, and everybody's going to be scared. You don't have to be scared because watch this. 
in, in Revelation <coughs> chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, it says, And the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast. They and the beast will hate the prostitute. Hmm. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose. Hallelujah. Can we get a hallelujah from somebody? These, all these people, all these groups that he's describing here are part of the devil's entourage, if you will. Let me say it that way to sum it up. And God says there's going to be this beast and these ten horns and these kings. And God says, I'm going to take the beast and the ten horns and these kings. I'm going to put it in their heart to devour her. Because he says, because you're going to do my will. He says, by being of one mind, handing over the royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Oh, my goodness. Is that not powerful? Before we get into Acts 9 and, and then the, the ninth of Av real quick, <clears throat> here's what I wanted to, to try to, for us to wrap our minds around. God loves you very, very much. He sent His Son, Yeshua, across eternity to die on the cross so that you and I could be restored to Him and be involved in His story. He also will not allow the devil to mess with His people. He will not allow him to mess with your DNA because in your DNA is the very imprint of the very nature of God and His name, yod heh vav -Hey. That's a whole other story. But it's in the molecules in your bloodstream. When God created us in His image, He made us human, therefore a reflection of His image. It, it is not based on your abilities or character or what you can and can't do. To be human is to be a reflection of His image. That is why abortion is an abomination to God. It is horrible. It is worse than that. It is Satan's attempt again to stop God from doing what he wants to do. And you and I have been told a lie that a fetus isn't a baby, and it's not human. That same mindset says, because the, the genie's out of the bottle, it's based on quality of life and potential life, watch this, and lapse of potential. So that same ideology can also say, if you have a mental deficiency, then it's okay to kill you because you're not really human anymore. And it goes on and on and on. Why? Because it's out of the pit of hell. So God has been very busy at protecting you and I because He wants to bring you into the kingdom. When Satan and his demons, if you will, these watchers, invaded humanity had illicit sex with women and had unnatural hybrid offspring 
to taint and destroy human DNA, God said, well, you guys go ahead and wear yourself out. But guess what? I know where every one of you are. And I will kill you. Because you're not mine anymore. You're a hybrid offspring that should not have been created. You are now no longer my creation. You ever wonder where demons came from? Why they're floating around these disembodied spirits? Those are the disembodied Nephilim. Why would that be? Well, they're not really angels that fell, and they're not really humans that fell. So where are they going to go? They have to wait until the final judgment. Remember the demons that were in the guy that Jesus shows up? We are legion for we are many, and Hollywood can't come up with another one. They repeat that over and over and over again because it's supposed to be, we are legion for we are many. It's dumb. Anyways, remember what they said to him? What are you doing here? Have you come to torment us before the time? At least let us go into the pigs. Don't send us into the pit yet. At least let us go into the pigs. So he goes, fine, go get in the pigs. That's where all that stuff's coming from. And if you want to say, that's just too weird. I, you know, I, I can't go there. Well, then the rest of your Bible's not going to make much sense. Because that's why God, and we'll see it later when he says, you're going to go in here. This people group you're going to annihilate. This people group you're going to annihilate. This people group you're going to annihilate. This people group, no. It wasn't just because they were sinful, evil, mean, and nasty, and God goes, you know what, just kill them all. Men, women, children, babies, all of them, you know, because, well, I I don't like those people. If that's our mindset, what answer do you have if we're not dealing with Nephilim? What is the answer? Well, God said, well, they were just too sinful, so, you know, just kill them. No. It's because he's protecting human DNA. And he said, and I'll use you to do this. But guess what? You ain't all that. I'm working with other people too. That doesn't mean they're saved. Was Pharaoh his servant? Was he a godly guy? But God said, I raised you up for this purpose. Was Nebuchadnezzar his servant? Was he a godly guy? No. But he said, I raised you up for this purpose. The list goes on and on. God says, the word of God says, literally, he'll put into office in any country as king or president or whatever, whom he pleases to do his will. Um, we've got to get to the point to where we're not just so focused on us, but we're more focused on Him and wanting to please Him no matter if we understand everything or not. I read this and I I really did. I laugh because I've heard you say it now at least twice. Who put that in my Bible? And I read that and I went, what is God working with Esau and Lot and killing Nephilim? I thought he only did that with the Israelites because they were his chosen people. Oops. Oh, so there's other things going on in the world that maybe I'm not totally informed on. 
Oh, maybe I should worry more about just my world and what God's talking to me about. Amen? That's why Facebook gets you in trouble. Facebook, Twitter, and everything else, because now we're in a situation where it's mob rule. It's more about emotions. It's not about truth. It's mob rule. What is God after? God's after a broken, contrite heart, a heart that is repentant and will return to Him. That's what He's been after all along. In Acts chapter 9, we have the story here of Saul, who becomes Paul, on the road to Damascus. It's a story that most of us here should be familiar with. It says, it came to be that as he was journeying, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light flashed around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, or Shaul, Shaul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, master? And the master said to him, I am Yeshua. Or the way this is spelled here, Yehoshua. Joshua. Whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the prods. Kind of a question. Both trembling and being astonished, he said, Master, what do you wish me to do? Oh, that we would all reply like that when he shows up. Amen. And the master said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you shall be told what, uh, what you have to do. And the men journeying with him stood speechless, hearing indeed the voice, but seeing no one. So here we've got a guy that's trying to follow the Torah and purge this new weird cult of Jewish people following this so-called Jewish Messiah named Yeshua that supposedly died, supposedly got resurrected, but ain't buying it. So I need to cleanse this heresy out of Judaism. And that same Yeshua shows up and says, Shaul, why are you persecuting me? With that kind of zeal, his immediate response is, Master or Lord, King. What do you want me to do? You see the difference there? The Hebrew word is teshuva, which means to turn around and turn back to where you came from. It doesn't mean just be sorry for what you did. It means turn back to God and His ways and follow Him and trust Him and just do what He said when He says it the way He says it. Because if you can do what he said and do it at the wrong time, and he's not happy with it. There's another set of passages for you. It's at the top. It's in Isaiah chapter 1. Don't go there. I'm just going to give you a real short synopsis of that. Isaiah is prophesying about the destruction of the temple. And he's telling them, God says that I can't stand your new moon festivals. I can't stand your Sabbaths. I can't stand, I can't stomach, I can't bear your sacrifices, your incense, your worship. I can't handle it. Then he says, I cannot stand the sacrifices and the assembly. Straighten yourself up. Live right first. In other words, get your heart right. Then that stuff I commanded you to do, I'll be pleased with. You go right back to 
the Israelites that said, we ain't going in the land. We're going to die. We're not going to go in. And God says, okay, well, I'm mad at you. You're going to die out here. And they go, oh, 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 we messed up. Okay, we'll go on in. And God says, don't go in there. Oh, no, no, no. You said to go in. I'm going in. You said do it. I'm going to do it. So they went ahead and did it and died for it. God said, because I'm not with you. You can do what I said and still die. They tried to fulfill the command that he gave them the first time. But then he followed it with another one with, don't do it. Oh, no, no, you said do it, so we're going to do it. And they died for it. What God wants is an obedient heart. That's what he's after. He's after your heart. And once he has your heart, then our lifestyle should follow. Now let's go back to the Nephilim for a second. (laughs) If God has already parted the Red Sea, He's spoken from Mount Sinai, 75 or so of the elders had a meal with God on the mountain. You have to go back and read your Bible. Talk about weird. They had a meal with God on the Bible. They heard the voice of God themselves that sounded like a shofar, getting louder and louder, and it scared them. Moses would come out of the tabernacle with the Shekinah glory dripping off of him, and they're like, dude, you're scaring the stuff out of me. You need to put a veil over your face. You look weird. All that stuff going on. Their distant relatives have already been killing Nephilim, And God says, go in there now. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to use you, and we're going to destroy these people. And they're like, "Mm, nah, mm, no, no, not me. No can do. Do you see the irony? And why God would show us that little detail? You know what else it says? Because these are not Israelites walking in covenant with God. You following that? But these are people that God said, I'll give you this land. And then he uses them and works with them. And God himself destroys these Nephilim clans and stuff to give this land to these people groups. You know what it should say to you and me? There is no enemy out there that is undefeatable. And especially when God is walking with you. Or I should say when you're walking with God. There is no enemy out there that is undefeatable. Then of what and of whom should we be afraid? Absolutely nothing. And the irony of being afraid of a hybrid is even worse. Now, I'm going to rock your boat just for a second. Because Yeshua said himself, they said, what's going to be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of you coming back? And he said, as it was during the days of Noah, so it will be at the return of the Son of Man. It was during the time of Noah that you had the Nephilim and the tainting and destruction of human DNA. 
That is happening to you and I as we speak. Worse, the scientists are playing with it and have already injected another strand into human, not necessarily in you, they're doing it in the test lab, another strand of, uh, of proteins added into human DNA, forcing it in there, and it's a protein never existed before. Ever. And they're also talking about DNA splitting and using it to try and bring healing, if you will. So when Jesus said, as it was during the days of Noah, so will it be when the return of the Son of Man happens. He also said that knowledge would increase and man would go to and fro. On your cell phone, you can talk today to somebody anywhere in the world through Facebook, whatever. It doesn't even cost you. you can, there's a computer in your back pocket. People flying to and fro left and right like it's nobody's business. Human knowledge is now d- doubling, I think it's every six weeks. It's, it, it might be six months, but I think the last I read was nearly six weeks. That it is, The total human knowledge is doubling. Now, I could go on and on about this. Most people don't want to talk about it, but it's here, it's happening, and I'm glad Donald Trump is our president. I'll say it and go on record saying it. I'm glad he's our president. I hope we get some more Supreme Court justices that don't legislate law from the bench, but hold up the Constitution of the United States. But he is not our Savior. And if you think it's going to get better... It will not get better. This genie's out of the bottle. I think, this is my opinion, but I think God has already unleashed the spirit of delusion on the world. That black is white, white is black, up is down, down is up, in is out, out is in. Truth is a lie, lie is a truth. And it will get worse and worse and worse. If that's the case and you don't experience this pre-trib rapture thing, you and I had better figure out what's going on and get close to our God. Because the Scripture says those that know their God will do great and mighty things, will do exploits, it says. I want to be close to my God, amen? Amen. The only way to do that is to read our Bible for what it says and not be satisfied with just sermon sound bites and feel-good messages about how you can be healthy and wealthy and prosper. And man, you pray this way, God's going to answer. And you do this, then God's going to do that. And you do this, then God... That stuff makes me nauseous. Sometimes I want to literally throw a brick through my TV when I see some of that garbage. And I'm like, do you hear what you're saying? It's all about you. You, 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 me, 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 me. If you do this, you get this. Me, 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 me. Folks, it's all about God. It's all about Yahovah and His Son, Yeshua. Period. And all the glory is going to Him. And all the focus is going to Him. And as long as we Christians keep saying, me, 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 do you honestly think that God is going to be with you? He 
we keep reading it. He keeps showing us over and over and over and over again. You can even do what I say, but if you're not doing it with the right heart, I'm going to let them kill you. I want your heart. I want, I want you to glorify me. That's what he's after. Um, but he loves you. And folks, that's why you're here. We have some fairly new people here, and I'm, I'm blessed. Because um, I started sharing this stuff with our fellowship. We lost 80% of our church, half my staff. I had people leave saying I was a heretic. I had people that left here that had been under my ministry for over 20 years. And I said, all I'm saying is this is what Jesus said. This is what the Word says. Yeah, but Paul. Yeah, but Peter. Yeah, but... And I'm like, I'm not going to go with a yeah, but. I'm going with Yeshua. No buts. No yeah, but anything. I'm going with what Yeshua said and what God said and what His Word says from cover to cover. And we're not legalistic. We're just trying to glorify our King. Pretty simple. Um, so... <clears throat> I want to share this with you. Let me, let me, Tishbaav. Oh man, I'm blowing my time, but Tishbaav. Fascinating. The report of the bad, the bad report of the spies, it's at the very end of your, your notes there, which is today. Tishbaav, the bad report of the spies happened on Tishbaav. The destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians in 586 BC, Tishbaav. It happened on Tishbaav. The destruction of the second temple, 70 A.D., by the Romans, happened on Tishbaav. There was a Bar Kokhba revolt in 135 A.D. among the Jewish people, and they were destroyed uh, by Hadrian on Tishbaav. There's more. I'm only highlighting these few. Watch this. The expulsion of the Jews from England happened on Tishbaav in 1290 A.D. But here's something fascinating because I was called out on this too and told I was an idiot. The expulsion of the Jews from Spain happened on Tishbaav, hmm, in the year 1492, somebody sailed the oceans blue. Did you know that there is mounting, mounting, textual, historical evidence that Christopher Columbus was a Jew, a Messianic Jew, and he was having to hide it because the Queen of Spain was about to expel all of the Jews and kill any left. Do you ever wonder why when they came over here, they had this special holiday in the fall with the Indians? Did you know that when they first started doing that, it was for over a week? And what else happens in the fall? Sukkot, it's eight days. Hmm, is right. Hmm. Why would God bless our country? Oh, because we're such good people. Oh, because we're so righteous and smart. You know, we were smart enough to get out of those other countries and come over here, you know. We're, we're really good people. I literally first heard this and I thought, 
when I heard it myself, I went, you guys are nuts. Y'all are crazy. Y'all really believe that? And now I believe it. Because the more I've been reading and the more I've been studying, I'm going, this is really true. Did you know that a lot of the indigenous Indian people here in America were already worshiping Yahovah? And they still do, according to things found by the, in, in the Torah, part of the 10 lost tribes of Israel that were scattered in 721 B.C. and never came back? Did you know that they are still doing it today? I've invited one of the chiefs of one of the nations that teaches that to come speak here, waiting to see how that might happen. Because it is happening. Um, I believe that God has brought you here and He's bringing us together to learn His truth because He said that at the very end He would whistle for His children that forgot who they were and He would bring us back together and we would cry out and return to Him. And it says that the Gentiles will cry out and say at the end of time, we've inherited nothing but lies from our fathers and worshiped things that were not God's, and will return to Him. And it's happening. I don't know why He would show me some of these things and be patient with me, but He has. It's all Him. And I believe that He's bringing people together to learn these truths so that we can glorify our King. Because there's a war going on over the integrity and honor and holiness of His name. It's not Allah. It's not Shiva. It's not Buddha. It's not anything else. It is Yahovah or however else you want to say it. I don't get hung up on the pronunciation. But He has a name, and He's distinct, and He's one God. He's the creator of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God that sent Yeshua to die on the cross for my sin and your sin so that He could break off that divorce decree and nail it to the cross and nail the sins of the unfaithful bride to the cross so that we could get remarried to Him. That's a story you never hear. And it's right there in your Bible. That's why He had to come and die. And that's why Jesus, that's why Yeshua said, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Nobody wants to touch that verse. <laughs> Reading your comment, they don't, they'll just pass right over it. When you get to this part here in, in, uh, in Genesis 6, and you talk about the Nephilim, 99% of the commentators out there won't even touch it. They won't touch it. Literally, you go through your commentary and all of a sudden, and it just skip. No comment. Some that will comment is that, well, yeah, they were just big guys. They were just bullies. They were kind of terrorists of the day. I'm like, wow, that really uh, kind of takes the power out of the Bible and the meaning. And really, that's it? Uh, they were just bullies? And they were bullies to the point to where people were scared of them and called them out as different than the other people? Doesn't make any sense. Um, 
God loves you. He loves you so much that He died for you. The truth is in your Bible if you'll have the courage to read it and to read it for what it says.